This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 167. Joel Hollingsworth here, as always, along with Will Shelton. Hey, Will, guess what? Hey, guess what? It's game week. I know, man. Uh, it's so funny. Like, just, just a few minutes ago, I was laying on the couch, and I was watching the end of Kansas City and the Chargers. And it's the first time, like, laying there on the couch thinking, I'm going to watch the end of this NFL game that I don't super care about. Um, but starting to think about, you know, I already wrote something for tomorrow morning about South Carolina, like starting to think about, all right, here's who Tennessee plays next week. This is the first time that sports have felt normal, like in the right rhythm yep. in six months. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a lot of energy out of watching Grant Williams and the Celtics, but that the rhythm is all wrong. It's, it's cold outside and it's the playoffs. Like that's all weird. But a cold Sunday night watching the NFL, thinking about who Tennessee's going to play in five days, that that feels that feels good. That feels really good. I do have to say, you know, I, I don't generally watch the NBA, but uh, I've I've been watching vicariously through you and your uh, Twitter account or wherever. And right. So I did turn over there last night, and I turned over just in time for that mic'd up episode with uh, Grant Williams. It's like this is great. Are they talking about this guy this much all the time? They're talking about you know, dissing Harvard and Yale and coming to Tennessee and his mom is, you know, all the, all the bullet points we heard, you know, multiple times from following him at Tennessee, but man, there was a lot of uh, good publicity. Is he getting that much usually, or I, I just get him at a good time? No, you caught him at a good time. Like he's, he played the same amount, but he's, he scored twice, uh, which was, and not on free throws, which was unusual. He hit a three and then he had a bucket inside kind of back to back. And so, yeah, those guys, which is a huge deal. I mean, that's the A broadcast team, uh, Mike Breen and Mark Jackson and uh, Jeff Van Gundy. So, like, those are the – that's that's the top broadcast team for the NBA. You can tell they, they burned through the note card on him. Uh, like, <laughs> here are all the facts about Grant Williams. But did you see the uh, – was it the mic'd up segment where they showed him in the handshake line before the game when he did the paper, rock, scissors with Jalen Brown? No, I didn't see that. There were two different mic'd up segments, but one they showed, like, Grant Williams – with all the starters because he comes off the bench or maybe everybody does like a, an individualized handshake. And with Jalen Brown, it was like three slaps and then they played paper, rock, scissors real quick. And Grant Williams won and he was like talking trash to him about it. Like this is a, this five seconds before game three of the conference finals. It was, it was a great, uh, it's, it's terrific. Again, I know we're here to talk football and we've got actual sports, actual Tennessee sports that we're excited about. And I know I'm the Celtics guy, but man, like it's, it's just awesome. Uh, to have him this involved as a rookie in, in Boston, still, you know, chasing a, a championship right now. Yes, I, I love that guy. Uh, they almost blew that game last night, though. Oof. Yeah, there's no – first of all, there's these games start at 845 or whatever, which is nonsense. It's the only game of the night right now. And they can't – this is the third game in a row when they've had at least a 12-point lead. And they lost the first two and then almost blew it last night. So I can't – I really just want a good night's sleep. That's all. <laughs> That's all I want out of this team at this point, and they're not giving it to me, even though they tease me with it three nights in a row. So, uh, let's maybe maybe in game four they'll just blow them out. We'll see. All right. So there was never any doubt that we were going to be playing football uh, uh, <laughs> this season, right? Right. No, seriously. I, how many times did you think this off season that we were going to be watching YouTube reruns? Uh, just you know, all fall. I I never. I'm an optimist by nature. So are you, I think, but I'm, I'm an optimist enough by nature that I never got to the point when I thought that it wouldn't happen in some form or fashion. And we even ran posts, I think, in some of the, the dreariest weeks. I, I wrote one that was like, you know, look, even if they just play the other teams in the East and take a week off between each game to, you know, if that's how the virus is working or how we thought it worked back in June or July or whatever, um, I always thought they'd play at least six games. And when the Big Ten backed out, I, I thought maybe for an hour or two that that might be it. But I think Greg Sankey did a good job. He put out a good statement then that said, we're, we're going to take our time. Uh, and just knowing, I mean, just the dollars that are involved in this whole thing, um, they had to play. In the minds of everybody making those decisions, right, they had to play. So, um I never got to a point when I thought it wouldn't happen at all at some point this fall, whether fans or no fans or, or whatever. Did you have some of those moments that you think we really might not get it? I did. You know, I, I was trying to decide uh, whether to do the magazine, right? 
uh, yeah it's it. a very practical sort of yeah yeah because i'm you know gonna put a bunch of money on on this uh decision <laughs> right. right so um you know the thing is it, it's come in waves right so when we went to print it was it was a month late this year so maybe june i can't remember when it was but everything was starting to open back up and we're like hey we're gonna go you know they're we're letting uh, athletes back on campus and it's like hey that's cool so you know let's let's go and so we go and then uh then they start you know all the cases start going up and they start talking about how everything is getting worse and we're gonna have to shut everything down again and i'm like okay you know <laughs> so but anyway there were some moments yes you know but you know it's been a, it's been just this i don't even know what to say about it because every podcast you listen to everybody's gonna say man what a crazy off season, right? But man, what a crazy off season. This, this has been weird. You know, they, they had two, two uh, practices in spring, you know, um, pretty much everything live and with the crowd disappeared completely. Um, and then, you know, even when the SEC announced its schedule and a start date of September, to me, it kind of felt like they were just being smart and playing to the whistle. You know, like it had already been decided, but you know, you don't call the game with time left on the clock. They're just going to use all the time. It's kind of what I was thinking. Um, but you know what? It's game week and uh, there's actual SEC football games that are going to take place this Saturday. And so now we get to find out uh, which teams sort of have the best backup quarterback mentality, you know, which ones <laughs> prepared as if they were going to play despite not knowing whether or not they were ever going to see the field. Right. So selfishly, I'm, I'm hoping Tennessee is one of those teams that's got a good backup uh, quarterback mentality. And so that leads to, to the first uh, first thing I want to talk about. So wh which teams do you think are best suited to adapt to all this weirdness that's been introduced by this virus? We got opt-outs uh, on different teams. We got quarantines. We got contact tracing. Um we got, uh, you know, team leadership and discipline when it comes to coronavirus protocols. Like, are you wearing your mask? Are you distancing? Are you staying away from crowds, no matter how fun they might be? You got short and interrupted practice times, whole bunch of stuff, right? So which SEC teams do you think are going to be hurt the most by that? And uh, where do you think Tennessee might fit in there? I think this is a good question. Uh, I, I kind of group them, you know, in tiers or, or just group them in groups to be redundant. Uh, you, you always have got Alabama by themselves. The and I think Georgia, Georgia a little bit too, that I just assume those guys do everything well. If you get too rigid, you know, th this is the season for flexibility, creativity, all that. So if you're a little too in love with the way you've always done things, then maybe you could be hurt by it. But Bama has been good with Saban for so long. They've, they've already evolved a number of, of ways from winning a championship, essentially in a, in a nobody can get a first down game nine years ago with LSU to the kind of games that they're in now. So uh, I, I, I think Bama is going to be Bama. Georgia, I, I think will be just fine. Um, LSU, whole separate animal, right? Everybody that played for them last year is gone or opting out, and, and they could go, you know, two and eight, and they're going to still just celebrate last year. So that's, they, were, they were in bad shape last year, and then, then all the opt-outs on top of that. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think they're kind of off uh, on the side. Ed Orgeron, we were talking about 60 Minutes before we started recording. Ed, Ed Orgeron is on 60 Minutes tonight, which I'm just, really? I'm just curious. Subtitles? What kind yeah, like what was how much research went into that choice? You know, it's it go inside a football program and in coronavirus times and hey, it's the defending national champions. That's great. It makes me wonder if no one actually heard Orgeron talk before they had him on the nation's flagship broadcast program. So um, LSU off to the side, first year coaches off to the side, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Missouri, Arkansas. That's that's bad time to be a first year coach. Even where those fans, I think, are excited about all those guys, uh, just not a good situation. And then I, it, Tennessee is in a group. Mullen at Florida's done a great job. I wouldn't worry about them. 
Um, Pruitt on a six-game winning streak and recruiting so well. And, and a good relationship between Pruitt and Fulmer and Pruitt and his players. Um, I don't think anybody would have had Jeremy Pruitt at the top of the leaderboard of, like, coach that's most visible in a lot of the social justice stuff that's been going on this summer. But he's he's been there, and he's done a good job listening to his players, it seems like. So yeah. uh, whatever that can tell us about that relationship, that that seems to be good. Um, I'm trying to think of who – you know, Texas A&M, Jimbo, been there before. Maybe not the best – culture and leader of an organization, but won a championship. So I assume that they're okay. That what you have to hope in terms of who is hurting the most outside of first year coaches are coaches on the hot seat, which brings us to South Carolina. Um, Vanderbilt would also be in that equation. Like Kentucky, I assume Kentucky is doing well, continuity, good coach, um, happy fan base, all that stuff. Um, Auburn may be a little weird because they're just kind of always a little weird in terms of that relationship with Malzahn, but you know, is the uh, the athletic South Carolina uh, reporter this week was talking about in his mailbag that even in this, that, you know, it's week one and there's all the virus stuff, but all people really want to talk about is what is the record that will get Muschamp fired <laughs> this year? So, like, you apparently can't if, – if you're in that kind of – and we were there with Butch Jones a couple years ago just didn't have a pandemic, thankfully, so – if you're in that space, uh, that's got to be weird. Same for Derek Mason uh, at Vanderbilt. So I, I think outside of the Bama and Georgia, I feel like Tennessee going into year three on a roll from the end of last year, good relationships. I feel like Tennessee is is in a good place. And even though Muschamp has been at South Carolina longer, been a coach much longer, head coach much longer than Pruitt, um, you wonder about – you know, some of that, so, some of that stuff, you're playing South Carolina in week one. So those are things that might show up in week six, if you're, you know, one and four or whatever. So I don't know if that'll show up for them week one or not. See, I, I kind of put Georgia at risk just a little bit. I, I understand what you're saying about the program. You know, they're going to, they're solid. They're fine. They got talent, all this stuff. Um, however, with the shortened uh, practice time, uh, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, and the fact that their offense was already struggling last year anyway. Um, I'm hopeful that they're going to struggle with it a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, but you know that, and, and then they had the opt out. You know, they were probably, I wonder how much time they burned on uh, Jamie Newman. You know, now they got the uh, uh, JT Daniels, or, or they, uh, and, and he was hurt, right? last year um so i i think the last thing i saw on that is that they don't even know whether he's going to be the quarterback they don't know who the quarterback is going to be it might be uh, uh duane duan mathis too so anyway um anyway we are going to find out uh so game week means that it's uh time for a uh, ballooning optimism right and uh between you and me we should have that covered so let's just embrace it, okay? Let's right. apologize for it. Let's just do it, okay? All right, so check out the uh, Evolve's offense, uh, the offensive line, okay? They could roll out uh, five-star Wanya Morris at left tackle, five-star Trey Smith at left guard. Just run left, right? You're good. <laughs> All right. Uh, right. You got a sixth-year senior Brandon Kennedy at uh, center who next year might be the world's first seventh year uh, senior um, next to him, five-star Cade Mays at right guard. We'll talk more about him in just a minute. Um, and uh, then five-star uh, Darnell Wright at right tackle. So you can run right too, or you can run right up the middle. All right. This is, you can create a lot of space and who are you creating space for? Eric Gray, Ty Chandler. Those guys are pretty good, right? Uh, Jared Garantano, I know that there's a wide disparity of opinions on this guy. Um, and, you know, last year, some mistakes were made. <laughs> All right. But I thought he did, he did pretty well. I think he's just after consistency. And why, why should we expect consistency from a guy that we've never given it to? Right. This is the first year he's going to have consistency with, with Jim Chaney being his offensive coordinator for the second year in a row. It's the first time he's had the same OC same system um and he's 
four years, five years in the program? Is yeah, it five, yeah, five years, yeah. Five years, five years, first time he's had the same OC two years in a row. All right. Um, and, you know, you and I both know, we've written about this, that uh, Cheney in his second year, uh, history shows that um, his offenses get dramatically better, not just better, dramatically better in the second year. All right. So, you know, maybe some questions with wide receivers, but hearing a lot of good buzz about those guys, about how fast they are. And, um, okay, so that's, that's cool. Um, so nobody's going to stop Tennessee but the virus this year, right? Well, I, I think you make a good point. Like one feather, we're talking about who can weather this best. One feather in Tennessee's cap is that, like you said, their leadership, at least on offense, like these are men, right? Yep. Trey Smith is and not just in physical stature, but in age. Trey Smith is a man. Brandon Kennedy is an adult, right? Yeah. Jared Garantano in experience is like 47 years old uh, in life experience at this point in time. So, yeah, I, I think that's good. You know, these guys have, have been around and understand what goes into all this. I think it, when we're having to talk about guys being out, you know, no practice, that sort of stuff, it doesn't hurt that you've got a particularly deep offensive line and worst case scenario, worst case scenario is, you know, seven guys in the line go out and you got to miss a game or whatever. But even if you lose one or two, you could still do a simplistic, all right, we're going to line it up and it's coming right at you. And that ain't going to be Georgia, but it might get the job done against a, a bulk of Tennessee schedule. If, if, you know, the, the virus will not be an equal opportunity offender, but if it was, you would still feel pretty good about Tennessee's advantage there. So uh, I, I'm curious to see what Cheney does with, with that shiny offensive line. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, it's, it's fair to expect Garantano to be better. Right. The question is just what, what is that better going to look like? Um, it's just such a huge, when it's third and five, who's he throwing the ball to? And if it's Josh Palmer, cool. When defenses figure that out, who else is he throwing the ball to? Um, that is just a huge uh, unknown. We did a piece on the red zone a few weeks ago and like, I didn't realize Jennings, Juwan Jennings was a top 10 national receiver in the red zone in yards and first down catches and touchdown catches. And Tennessee was bad in the red zone. And Jennings was still great at that. And he was, he was a great receiver on third down too. So, I mean, we don't even know, like right away, the first time Tennessee's in third and five, who's on the field at receiver besides Josh Palmer. Uh, that That's a mystery uh, at this point. So, um, that is a big piece of the puzzle to me and just in terms of how quickly can you develop and establish that rapport between Garantano and whoever the other guys that he's throwing to are. Best answer to that is don't get in third and five, right? <laughs> be great on first down, be great on second down, grind them out, you know, all that stuff should be available. So I, I think the offense, um, it, it may not be as explosive in the vertical passing game, without Jennings and Callaway. Um, but I think that it can be efficient uh, in a way that a, an SEC offense should be efficient when you're playing behind that offensive line. How are you feeling about uh, Cade Mays? You know, a few days ago, we heard that the NCAA cleared him and then Pruitt came out and he didn't even lead with, he like buried the lead in his, <laughs> in his press conference. And what he said was, well, we still got to go through the SEC. And then he started talking about you know, uh, this would be the first time that the SEC really allowed an undergraduate guy to transfer uh, and play right away. And it looks, it sounded to me like uh, uh, expectations management, you know, that, uh, that this, it really wasn't a foregone conclusion. The SEC was going to, um, you know, uh, let him go. And, and then I also heard uh, it, I, I read uh, Tony Basilio's, um, web page every morning because it's got it's kind of like a reading of all quests war room but he publishes it every day and it's not behind right. a paywall so it's gonna you know he's got inside stuff and and he was saying he thought that the uh um the sec was really the hold up the whole time so i don't know what do you think 
I think that I'm, again, being an optimist by nature. And uh, when I see, not Basilio, but when I see some other media that are smarter than me and more, you know, connected than we are, when I see them express confidence, that that gives me a little more confidence too. The different situation, obviously, but this is the game Tennessee's played with with Aubrey Solomon uh, and with with Urosh Plavšić in basketball, where you know, it's like an insurance claim. They're just going to deny you straight up the first time, and then when you come back, it's it's going to go through. So, I just think it makes too much sense to me in a year when everyone is eligible all the time. Yeah. To not just do it. And I think Sankey, uh, clearly I don't know this man, but I, I think Sankey has a good measured kind of way about himself. And I think he understands that college football is moving in this direction anyway to, to offer a, a one-time transfer free of charge essentially to, to anywhere you want to go. So um, it, it would just – it would surprise me if it did not go through based on – all of that. Um, I, I say that with zero inside information. Uh, I just it, it, reading the tea leaves as best they can be read in coronavirus times. Uh, it just it makes too much sense uh, to to put a stop to it when everybody has as much eligibility as they want. Was Eli Wolf a graduate then? He must have been. I didn't realize that he was. I mean, because that was from can't remember New Georgia. So he played right away. Uh, and maybe it's, you know, if the head coach is not contesting it, if the, you know, if, if in that case, Butch Jones or Jeremy Pruitt, whoever it was, was like, you know, Hey, sure. Like that's fine with me. Um, then I, that maybe that's not the case with Cade Mays, but you've got the ongoing lawsuit with his dad. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's bizarre. It makes too much sense uh, to not to not to go Tennessee's way here to me. Me too, and that's why I was really surprised at the first go round. It was denied. So anyway, all right, let's talk about the uh, the defense. Um, last year, they were actually quietly, I think, really really good. Nobody yeah, realized exactly how good they were. Um, this year, uh, they're they got to replace one guy at each level kind of I know uh, Daryl Taylor was a outside linebacker but he's still kind of a rusher so you got you got to replace him you got to replace Batuli inside linebacker you got to replace Nigel Warrior at safety um, but it seems like we have guys to slide into those um, so the 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 thing is the the line has gotten some grief from Pruitt um, in from reports uh, from fall camp or whatever they're calling it now <laughs> fall triage or something <laughs> but um the the line actually they went from being a real liability uh, last year to being really pretty good and uh it's basically the same guys this year i mean we're, we're gonna miss good but we missed him last year you know um so um you know if, if they can just if they can not have two guy, two defensive ends lined up on the same side of the line in the first game this year, they're already better. Right. 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 So, so um, what, what do we have to be concerned about? You know, you hope that uh, Pru is just mad because he's a defensive guy and our, it's our offensive line. That's the explanation. You know, they're going up against uh, five-star guys and that's what's happening. But I wonder, you know, should we be, uh, concerned about those guys and, and and if we are I mean why would they have regressed should we maybe really be concerned about Jimmy Brumbaugh the new uh, defensive line coach or what do you think might be going on there I, I think you make a couple of good points I you know the defense we wrote about this like Tennessee's defense in the preseason was sixth in the country in SP plus and that's with all 130 teams accounted for yeah. so when you go back and look at what goes into that, you know, Tennessee was the best team in the nation last year at not giving up plays of 30 plus yards. And that's something that, I mean, as you mentioned, because they looked so bad and they played so poorly against Georgia state. And then they, they give up the worst of 30 plus yard plays against BYU, that pre-existing assumption of the defense is terrible. And then the, you know, Florida 
it's certainly not all on the defense, but when you lose by 31 to the Gators, like it just kind of gets in there. But they were really good. They were really good at, at keeping you away from big plays, and they were really good at getting to the quarterback, especially on third down. So I think the other, you know, Batuli, uh, Toho Toho is, is probably Tennessee's, it might be Tennessee's best non-Trey Smith player, period. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, he was right there in terms of being behind Batuli and tackles and all that stuff. So I worry less about that. Nigel Warrior is super underrated. Uh, I, I think ultimately after, after being somebody who people felt was overrated early in his career, a little underrated at the end, yeah. but man, the secondary is loaded. Like if you want to play the super scary, which position group can we, you know, most afford to get the virus or whatever, it's, it's probably secondary. Right. Because those guys are are deep um, and some of your best incoming freshmen are there, too. So, like, I uh, I think Tennessee by committee can replace what Nigel Warrior gave them last year. That's the big question to me, especially when we're talking about defensive line is can your committee replace what Daryl Taylor gave you? I don't think it's going to be replaced. Can it come close to replicating what Daryl Taylor gave you? Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm like you. It's the same guys more or less. Um, none of them are showing up on anybody's preseason all SEC stuff, in part because this is the SEC and this is, this is a deep league at defensive line. Um, but I think they, they did a great job, essentially, by committee last year, getting you know, Aubrey Solomon and Matthew Butler and Greg Emerson and, and a lot of these guys to play better as the year went along. So I'm like you, I would assume that that is going to continue to take place. I don't think they're going to be, you know, spectacular on the defensive line, but I think they can be good enough. And if they can be good enough at getting to the quarterback, I think the, the rest of the defense will continue to take care of itself and not giving up big plays and all that stuff. So I'm like you, I'm, I'm curious there too, especially, you know, first two weeks and maybe even Georgia, if, as you're saying, they're going to be a little discombobulated offensively. Like this is, this is a good opening run for your defensive line to get South Carolina and Missouri and, and an out of sorts, Georgia. So, um, you know, we, you would hope that you would see productivity early uh, from these guys and, and hopefully often. Um, so, you know, maybe it's just a, a throwaway talking point. Maybe it is that they're going against our offensive line. I don't know, but that, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of surprised me a little bit too, to hear that from Pruitt. You were talking about the secondary. Was that uh was it the secondary that Fulmer was talking about when he used the phrase bucket of minnows or who was that? That was Fulmer, wasn't it? I do not remember. Oh, I have to look that up. I remember that phrase. I just thought it was cool. Anyway, it, it kind of describes a, a very active secondary with a lot of really good players, right? Just it's yeah. Starting all over the place. All right. So, um, What's the biggest thing you want to see in the uh, opener? I got one, but I'm going to save it till after you're done. I, I mean, again, just from a general curiosity standpoint, who are we throwing to? Who's, who's in the game at wide receiver on third and five? And then who are we throwing to? That's, that's one. Because I think there's – I said this on the radio Friday. Like, when you're excited about so many freshmen and transfers at receiver, plus Brandon Johnson, who redshirted last year, who we haven't seen in two years, like – there's a potential that we walk out of week one and we're excited about Jalen Hyatt. And we walk out of week two and we're excited about Brandon Johnson. And we walk out of week three and we're excited about Ramel Keaton because they all kind of nibble and get their shots. But sooner or later, that's got to coalesce into who are the guys that consistently are, uh, are in there. So um, that's one for me is where's, where's it going on third and five? Who's even in the game there? Um, if real quick that what you just said is a lot like what happened with Eric Gray last year first couple of games man he looked fantastic he was spinning all over the place nobody could catch him we're like this guy's gonna be awesome and then he hit uh he hit a wall and like you're saying this could happen with any or all of the uh young new uh wide receivers and especially you know more so at that position because you're not guaranteed touches um the the way you are in that in that game but um yeah, I mean, they, they got to figure that out. Uh, different coaches do different things there, but I, I just think having a dedicated – we saw how good Tennessee was all of last year when it was going to be Jennings and Callaway and Palmer, and that was about it, and that was, that was great. So um, 
I'm, I'm curious to see that. Uh, I, you just want Garantano to play well, you know, like I, I, I don't want him to come out there and have, we'll take the win. Let me say this, this, this virus stuff, like you, you treat this like basketball season. Any win is great. There's no such thing as a bad win uh, this year, none whatsoever. So if we beat this team 14 to 13 with two touchdowns and two interceptions, awesome. Let's go play Missouri. So, uh, but you, you want him to play well. You want him to get off to a good start. Uh, you know, fans, JT Shroud has, has seized the backup job, it seems, which good for him because he was, you know, in the minds of the, the fan base collective, he was Mr. Most Likely to Transfer because yeah. Harrison Bailey was going to come in here and be great right away. And then Brian Maurer was better in spots last year than Shroud was, but you know, uh, I just, I'm tired. Everyone's tired. I don't want to talk about should JG be the quarterback, you know, all, all September or all October since we'll be playing one game in September, but um, you, you want to see him play well. Uh, I, again, I'm not super, the back seven defensively is not a big mystery um, to me, even uh, who's going to start an outside linebacker opposite Kevon Bennett. If it's Roman Harrison, or if it's DeAndre Johnson or somebody else, I, I feel like those are good options regardless. So uh, it's, it's really passing game stuff to me. Who's out there? Where's he going on third down? And will we come out of South Carolina feeling any sort of definitive improvement from Garantano? Um, we don't have to feel that way. I think Tennessee could beat these guys without getting that. Uh, but that would sure be nice to see uh, if we got it. I'm kind of on the same lines, but in a little bit different way. I I want to see at least two, and I would love to see three deep passes completed. Because um, I think that the way that things are shaping up with the offensive line that we have and with the running backs that we have and with you know the perceived questions at, at quarterback, um, that we're shaping up to be a, a running team. But – you know, when you're when everybody knows that, um, it's a little easier to stop because everybody just loads up against it. And the way you fix that is by hitting a few deep balls. And especially when you have a whole bunch of brand new receivers and nobody thinks that you're going to be able to, you know, use them or everybody kind of wants to see whether or not you're going to be able to before they devote resources to stopping it. Um, so I, I think that uh, you, you want to have a couple of deep balls uh, connected on a couple of nice big plays that way, because that will stretch the field. That'll open up uh, more success in the run game. That's what I'm hoping to see two, maybe three. And by the way, uh, Jalen Hyatt apparently runs a four, three forty, um, which is really fast. <laughs> yes. I'm, told. I'm told. So, uh, I'm thinking about one of the guessing game questions is at what point do we see the first uh, jet sweep for Jalen Hyatt? Because obviously he's going to run that at some point, right? First game, second game, what do you think? Well, and I, and I think T. Martin is good at getting these guys early on, getting these guys in spots to, to have moments. Like that's good for recruiting, man. Get get your freshman in there right away. We saw Kiffin, you know, do that with, with new Keith Richardson and all those guys a thousand years ago. Um, get them, get them going early and often and, and build that buzz and all that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's important too, just because you're Marquez Callaway and Juwan Jennings were your deep ball guys. So uh, Keaton had a, he had a couple big catches, uh, Ramel Keaton. So I'm curious to see, is, is he like, I'm not super hearing his name a lot. It's like, Oh, this is definitely the number two guy. Um, but I'm curious to see, Again, on third and five, is it him right away by default, or who else can they get going there? But you're right. I mean, with a great slave to the the moment, like the Titans today, you know, Tennessee doesn't have a Derrick Henry running back, but they've got a, a sensational offensive line. And people have been saying now for, you know, like 13 games that Ryan Tannehill isn't going to get it done at quarterback, and he is shredding people because everybody is lined up to stop the run. And so, I mean, they're killing people on play action. They're really killing people throwing to the tight end. And that's not going to be a Tennessee volunteer thing, I don't think. But, 
yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be done. And Chaney is adaptable and flexible enough. That's one thing I, I like, too, if this gets really weird. Or if just, I mean, stuff happens, man. If Garantano gets hurt in the first game, um, Tennessee can get weird. Uh, they, they've got a good offensive coordinator that's flexible and able to, to do that and, and can throw different guys out there that folks haven't seen. When you're playing behind that good of an offensive line, you can get away with a lot more of that stuff. So uh, I, I like having my offense in Jim Chaney's hands uh, in, in uncertain times. I have not thought of New Keith Richardson in forever. So thank you for bringing him. It does, is he the one who drives a Prius? Yeah, he's in the in the pilot uh, robbery on this on the strip. Um, it, hey, listen, uh, Lane Kiffin at high noon uh, against the Gators is for it's right out the gate. Like you get to cheer for Kiffin right away uh, in terms of doing something good. Be the first thing, first good thing Lane Kiffin's done for Tennessee in uh, more than eleven years. But uh, you know that would uh, that would be great if he was able to uh, to knock off the Gators. I'd love that. All right, so my uh, uh, my Stetsy preview machine it got coronavirus um, <laughs> because I, I pushed the button on it uh, this week and it just it flipped out because uh, it does not um, it does not want to deal with teams beginning at different times and having different numbers of games and so it just went ah. I don't know. So anyway, I, I, I put it into therapy this weekend, spent a lot of hours holding its hand and we got it, we got it up and running and uh, it's, it's good. It's, it's doing fine. Um, so anyway, after I, I, I was comfortable that it was uh, performing the uh, I, I ran it for all of Tennessee's games just to see what would happen at this point. Right. So this is, it's based on last year's data and stuff, but um, it basically knows what we're thinking. <laughs> which which is kind of cool, but it's got um, it's got Tennessee favored in uh, four games: uh, South Carolina, Missouri, Arkansas, and Vandy, um, and uh, Kentucky. Basically, a, a pick 'em. It gives Kentucky the nod at point uh, seven points, um, which you know I think that's fair. Although I think we're going to get them. It doesn't know about the history. Um, one of the things that's interesting, though, is that it's got South Carolina is a, a 21.9 point underdog, which I like that because uh, the the the, uh, the actual spread, the actual line came out today. And it's what, like two and a half points or something like that. Three. Yeah. Three points. So, yeah, uh, we're going to find out, I guess. Uh, but then also, uh, let's see. Tennessee's big, uh, big loser to uh, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, just like you'd expect. Uh, 22.8 to Florida, 26.2 to Georgia, and 27.9 to Alabama. But um, Auburn and A&M are within reach. 6.4 points, 9.6 points. So that's basically, if you, if you count Kentucky as sort of a Tennessee lean that's five games right there. And then with a chance at, uh, at a couple of more. So where, where do you think you'd, I, I know that this is, you know, the most asked question in the preseason, but you know, where, do, where would you expect, uh, where would you want, where would you feel happy if Tennessee ended up with this SEC only schedule? With the, with the record? with the records, how, how many wins. And I know it depends on, you know, how they come and who they come to, but uh, what, what are you thinking? What, what are your expectations for the season? I, I think, uh, so in my win total machine, I'm at annoyingly just under five and a half. I'm at 5.43, which means I'm supposed to tell you that I think five and five is the most likely outcome, but uh, you know, I'm a, a hiccup away from six and four. I think, I mean, six and four, you're going to get at least one somebody that matters. But I think the bigger thing for Tennessee, especially when you don't have, like, I don't know what's going on with bowl games. So if you told me six and four is in this weird year is going to get you the Outback Bowl, I'd be like, shoot. I mean, hey, that's, that's pretty good given all this that's going on. The bigger thing for me is, one, do we have a chance to win every game? 
uh, and and not shockingly, but like at kickoff, can I turn this game on and think we have a chance to win this game? Um, and because we saw it with Alabama last year, that just helps mentally, at least for me, kind of clear that block of, oh, we got a chance to beat these guys. Now, again, clearly that doesn't. We, sh- we should have beat them in 2015, and then me and several others on, on Rocky Top Talk at the time picked us to win in 16 when we were on fire and had the mojo and, and got thoroughly destroyed by those guys. So uh, being close one year does not automatically mean you'll, you'll be close next year. But if Tennessee has a chance to win every game and is consistently competitive – that's going to go a long way with me this year. I was trying to pull up, uh, looking at the, the updated SP plus stuff um, that has Tennessee at 16. Um, it's got five and a half points on South Carolina, which then if you give them, you know, give them a point for home field advantage, that's four and a half. So, so still higher than Vegas. Um, but when you're talking about competitiveness, you know, right now Tennessee would be, a nine-point SP plus dog to Florida, so eight points in Knoxville, um, and and a ten-point dog to Georgia, so eleven points in Athens. Then Bama's all the way out there as they should be, but um, being competitive, not just competitive, like oh we lost by fourteen, but feeling like we have a chance to win this game. Yeah. Um, that's big, and then just the nature of <clears throat> because the Gators are at the end. It would have been true with Georgia at the end in the original schedule, but you can stay in the SEC East race a lot longer this way, and that's going to feel really good if Tennessee takes care of their business and doesn't stumble or whatever. The idea that we could beat Florida to win a tiebreaker and take the East at, you know, seven and three or something like that, that would go a very long way because we're just used to being out of this thing. Other than 2016, we're out of this bad boy the first week of October every year since 2007. So um, just being in that thing when it's, it's going to be a scramble. I mean, FPI has got Georgia at eight and two and Florida at seven and three more or less. So I don't think, I don't think Tennessee's going eight and two by any stretch of the imagination, but could they win the East at seven and three in a tiebreaker? Yeah, they might. So um it it's uh, I think you were the first person to ask me, am I still doing my, you know, cheer for Florida unless they're playing us sort of thing? Absolutely not. Right. Like this is, this is a pennant race. You want those guys to lose every time they play. So if, if Kiffin and those guys can get one up on them and if Auburn can get one up on Kentucky at noon on Saturday, fantastic. You, che- you cheer against the East every week, every opportunity now. And it's just so different because you don't have to, you know, Florida's not playing the Citadel one week. You know, it's, they're going to have a chance to lose to an SEC team every Saturday. Uh, so I, it's those two things to me more than trying to figure out the value between five and five and which five versus six and four and which, which six is. Are we competitive every Saturday in a, in a chance to win kind of way? And is Tennessee in the SEC East race deep into the season? Both of those things would super duper feel like progress, especially in this weird year. So I, I would I would take both of those things uh, if you gave them to me right now. So you may have said this, but um, just for clarity, um, what is it that made you change your rooting strategy? Because I've always kind of viewed it as a well. Let, let me put it this way. Um, in the recent past, when when Tennessee has not been very good, <laughs> right. um, I've always cheered against the East teams um, to give Tennessee a better chance at, at winning the East. So why is this season so much different? Just because there's fewer games, uh, fewer opportunities to, to mess up or, or what? I, I think for me, it's the mental... <laughs> There's some, I'm not a prisoner of playing Florida in week three because I mean, Tennessee fans in my age bracket, I'm 38 in my age bracket, your whole outlook on the season is dictated in week three for, for now almost 30 years now. It's either if you beat Florida, like you should win the East. That's always been true. Even though Tennessee's done it twice and, and didn't, 
they've done it three times if you count 03 when they tied um, and, and beat Florida and didn't win the East. Or you lose to those guys and you got to get two back. Yeah. Um, you got to get them to lose twice, uh, which they never used to do back in the, back in the day. So it's usually only the Kentucky, the Florida Kentucky game. That's usually the only one. Cause that's usually who they play before they play us where I'm like, no, let's, let's just have like, let them win. And then if we beat them, then it it means more and it's worth more or on the rare occasion that Florida has played a meaningful non-conference opponent in week one, which is usually Miami. Um, I, I won't always wanted to win that game too. That wouldn't change. I, I like SEC teams winning those big SEC teams on Tennessee schedule, winning those big games um, because it, it means more. Um, I'm still very much this way with Kentucky and basketball. Like if we're good enough to beat them, which now apparently we are every year, um, then Sure. Like if, if we don't need to catch them in the standings right at this very moment, then sure. Like they can win and it'll mean more when we beat them. I would, it means more to me to beat Kentucky. If, if Kentucky's ranked fifth and they're playing Alabama the week before they play us and Bama's got them on the ropes, I would rather Kentucky win. And then we can beat top five Kentucky instead of, you know, number 11 Kentucky or, or whatever. It just means more that way. So, um, I don't offer that to you as the wisest possible strategy. Uh, it's just kind of a product of, it's like I'm a prisoner of growing up with, with Tennessee in the early nineties when they went to that format. Uh, but now just knowing now the odds of, you know, nobody is getting out of a 10 game SEC schedule clean. Um, so I just think you need and, – and Florida's at the end. So, like, I know Georgia is in week three instead, but because it's Georgia – and because Georgia's got to play Alabama right there in that same early stretch. So, I just assume if Georgia beats Tennessee and beats Alabama and beats Auburn, like, good for you. <laughs> like, they're going to win it. They deserve it. Fantastic. Um, but uh, <clears throat> to me, it's, it's just the reality of this thing is going to be a scramble – and you don't have the option of if Tennessee was to beat Florida in week three, even in, in these times where you pencil in a loss to Alabama, Tennessee could still run the rest of its table and be ahead of the Gators. Now, man, it's, it's just a free for all. So uh, I, I don't offer that position as like everyone should be this way, but I haven't known how to not be that way <laughs> uh, until, until now, but I'm very much not that way. Like now I'm, I am, uh, I mean, I, I, have you watched much the last couple of weeks? Like just watching these other games where yeah. there's no investment for Tennessee, it's not the same. I'm very eager to watch a game that matters for Tennessee, which yeah. will be Florida at Ole Miss and Kentucky at Auburn right away. Yep. I'm very eager to watch both of those games and cheer against Florida and Kentucky to have something meaningful happen to Tennessee because nothing meaningful has happened to Tennessee in six months. So uh, I'm, 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 the pendulum has swung hard uh, to the other side for me on that. Okay. Welcome to the dark side. Right. Um, it's just the side in 2020. Like, it's just where we all are, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I cannot, you know, for me, I cannot remember the last time I didn't want no good thing to happen to Florida. You know, I just, I, I never want anything good to happen for them. Sorry. <laughs> so... I, I was trying to think back to some of those years, like not really 2001 because we didn't beat them until the end of the year. But like in 98, I remember, you know, like rooting for those guys in their bowl game or what, just thinking like, if we're going to win the whole thing, let's have them, let's have it be meaningful that we beat these guys uh, and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I'm the same way with SEC teams in the NCAA tournament. Like, yeah, man, let's have it be meaningful that we beat, you know, Vanderbilt or, or whoever, if they get to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, it's probably why I never win my bracket pools uh, or, or the front office pools. But I'm in like 20th place now after, after not having any emotional ties to any of this stuff. I got so upset heavy last week that it, it uh, did not go well for me. I am looking up uh, Florida's schedule. I just wanted to see whether that they played uh, Alabama. They do not. So They do not. Um, that's a bummer because it'd be nice if the playing field between the big three and the East was actually level this year, but they still didn't get that right. 
So anyway, um, just a quick question. We only got a few minutes left here, but uh, have you ever watched SEC Nation? I have not, not like super frequently, but yeah, I mean, uh, especially if game day is not at an SEC site or something like that. Yeah, sure. Because it, 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 uh, it's pretty good. You know, um, I really like Marty, whatever his name is. I don't remember his last name. He's like a Tennessee dude, right? No, he's, he's a Southwest Virginian. He's from right up the road, uh, here from where I am now. Didn't he go to Tennessee though? I think he went to Radford, which is literally up the road from where I am now. Okay. I think he played baseball uh, at uh, at Radford. Okay. Well, I don't like him then. But Ryan, Ryan McGee went to went to Tennessee. That's part. They have that show, that Marty and McGee show together. Yeah. So he was he went to Tennessee. Okay. So I like both those guys. I, I was just kidding. But um, they're uh, they're they're funny. It's it's informative, entertaining, and uh, you know when game day went to three hours. It's just, it's a lot of stuff that you don't care about, you know? And I, I, so I always tune in for the opening song, which by the way, while I'm on this, <laughs> the opening song, um, it's pretty cool, but you can't hear it anymore. It's nothing but and crowd and stuff. You can't hear the song anymore. So anyway, that's just an aside. Uh, but anyway, it, so there have been moments where you've actually chosen SEC Nation over uh, ESPN College Game Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I, it's happened to me a couple of times now. It's like, you know, I'm just much more interested in, in this because they do a good job and it's my teams. Um, and Game Day is, you know, got a lot of fluff in it now. So anyway, one of the things, though, and I'm just rambling here, um, but one of the things that I – really because i think you and i talked uh maybe a week or two ago and i was having problems getting excited about the season right um but it was because i was watching central arkansas play <laughs> in, in front of no no crowds you know and man it feels good to hear those commentators voices to hear chris fowler and kirk herb street call a game and it feels really good to hear the band and hear some crowd noise. Um, that, that, that makes a big difference just to, you know, it's, 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 it's getting here. Right. So anyway, uh, that, that was a very, uh, not very organized, uh, segment. No, I, I agree. Like I remember when all this pandemic stuff started and then we had the NFL draft. It was like there were no sports, you know, nobody was playing anything. Uh, people were watching Korean baseball and, and that sort of thing there for a little bit. And then the NFL draft came and it was like, oh, sports. Um, and I watched it, and you know, in a year, Daryl Taylor went in the second round, but we really had nobody else projected to go early. I watched it for about as long as I normally would and then let it go because I just didn't have, like it was cool, but I wasn't personally invested. Uh, I have I have not watched any Central Arkansas, uh, but I did I did watch about the first quarter and a half of BYU and Navy, and I watched the first I watched about two and a half quarters of uh, of Georgia Tech and Florida State, and uh, watched some of of Notre Dame and Duke because of Cutcliffe and all that stuff. But I have not found myself with with those things. I've not found myself watching it like more than I would have in a, in a normal time. Like in a normal year, I wouldn't sit down and watch four quarters of, of Georgia Tech and Florida State. I, I would watch it for a little bit and then, you know, channel surf or see what else is on. But um, so like I, I get that of uh, just because it's been gone for a long time, not coming back and like over consuming it. I haven't done that either. But again, we're all different. We all experience sports differently. But I promise you, like this, this business with the Celtics, like I have been every bit as into that in that bubble as I have ever been watching them in the playoffs. And even if like it's so cool to have Grant Williams on my favorite team, that's that's it makes me feel like a kid, and I'm much older than that dude anyway. But like that part is super cool. But even if he wasn't playing, like when it's your team and it's super meaningful and it's close man Boston's been playing nothing but close games 
like all all the feelings are there um, for me. Now basketball is is just different because anybody that's played in a pickup game knows like you often experience basketball with no fans there, yeah. but you don't usually play eleven on eleven football, you know, with with a bunch of people out in the yard or or you know, nine man baseball, like those are sports that are almost exclusively played in front of people. But I just, I mean, I just think it's going to feel like, like a good high school game. And I say that as somebody that is from Alcoa, like that knows what, what a really good high school game is and good environment is about. So um, I, I've, if any, you or anybody is worried about that, uh, I just wait. Uh, and I, again, I don't think you're going to have to make it to our kickoff at 7:30. I think if you turn on Florida and Ole Miss, and we could use a loss there, I, I think it's going to be there uh, for people. It may. The thing that will be hard about that is if we do have. Oh, this week Tennessee has 17 players out, or hey, we need Florida to lose to South Carolina, but this week South Carolina has 22 players out. Like that part is, will suck. Um, and feel unfair, I'm sure, to some teams more than others. But, you know, hopefully, uh, whether it's through things already running through teams or, or improved testing or people wearing masks or whatever the case may be that will help here, you know, hopefully we can avoid uh, some of that and, and not have that piece of it taken away. But I think, I think it's going to feel just, just fine uh, here on Saturday when it's things that, are, that you're actually personally invested in. Yeah, I, I already got it. Um, I, d- I did a couple of things. Well, let me say this before I get into that. Uh, you said you watched the Duke uh, Notre Dame game. Did you see that commercial over and over, the ACC commercial with all the coaches talking about social injustice and all this? But I, I heard, I have a memory of like hearing it, but I don't really okay. remember it. Did, did you see the picture of, have you seen David Cutcliffe without his mask? is basically what I'm asking. No. Okay, he's got this beard now. And he's lost oh, yeah? he's lost uh some weight, right? So I'm gonna look this up while you're while you're telling it okay, to me. Yeah, look it up. Because I'm sorry to say I love the man, okay? But he looks like Abraham Lincoln just walked out of a methadone clinic. <laughs> Harsh <laughs> words. <laughs> If I just Google, if I Google image David Cutcliffe beard is the first thing that comes up followed by 2020. So, uh, so anyway, um, what I was saying is that, yeah, I, uh, I was having problems last week, but it was because I was watching central Arkansas, you know, yeah. and I was watching ACC football, um, and it, you know, Georgia tech and whoever else they were playing, but I guess it was Florida state. That was a decent game anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, this week I pulled up, my regular routine for stuff. And now I got the routine and we're talking about Ole Miss in Florida. We're talking about SEC games. Tennessee is going to play this Saturday. And I also turned on, you know, I've been listening to podcasts and stuff. And so I did, you know what I need to do is I need to listen to just the radio WNML, just turn it on and hearing Wilkerson's voice, you know, that helped even the commercials. You know, do you remember the time that you uh, donated your daughter's private diary to the public library, right? I heard that commercial because iHeartRadio apparently hasn't sold all of its ad allotments. So that commercial plays 15 times in a row while you're waiting for live programming. But just hearing that actually uh, sort of told me it was football season too. So, so I'm good. I'm good. There's, there's a deep truth at that. Like I, I joke with Alex, my wife about, she's been going games, going to games with me now for uh, seven years. And like just the, the Vol network, like core advertisers, Brown squirrel furniture, natural gas, uh, of course, you know, state farm, all those folks like, and man, if I had a business and I had a spot on the, uh, on, on the Vol network, I would never give it up. Right. Like I would keep that slot for, but yeah, like even those things, when I hear those ad spots, uh, it just makes me be like, oh yeah, brown squirrel furniture. Yeah, that means it's it's football time. Like it's it's just it's just part of it. It's part of the uh, the the whole thing that, that you kind of buy into. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'll I'll be um, 
I wonder what they're going to do. I'll be curious to see because, I mean, they're they're at least allowing tailgating. It's illegal to tailgate here at, at uh, Virginia Tech. Like, you you get cited for it if you do because there's no fans and public are not supposed to gather. But um, you can do it at Tennessee. I just know they're not sponsoring any of it. But I, I don't even know if they're doing the game day all day thingamajigger uh, this year or not. I, I think people would still listen to it. You know, it's it's um, it's what we do. It's It's part of the – the fiber of, uh, of, of all this stuff and, you know, all that woven together and just, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to think about missing like, Oh, I didn't, you know, I haven't heard that Brown squirrel furniture shout out to Brown squirrel who pays us nothing. Uh, but it's, you know, we'd be happy to have them on our podcast. I'm sure they're a fine furniture company. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, you miss those little things and there's going to be a lot of folks, um, there's going to be a lot of folks that don't go to a game for the first time in X number of years. I might be one of them. Uh, so like there's, there's going to be, that's, that's going to be different uh, for some folks. Uh, and clearly, even if you do go, it's going to be different, but it's just fun. You know, those, those old familiar things, but you're right about the slate, man. You know, as the person that picks the games for our picks contest, that's been a bunch of nonsense, uh, but not, not this week. Like, <laughs> Yeah, trying to trying to find twenty games. I mean, literally, there weren't twenty to pick from, but trying to find ten uh, was a challenge the last two weeks. But not anymore. You know, now it's 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 going to be you're going to be able to if if you have the opportunity to sit down on Saturday and have something you care about at noon and and uh, definitely at noon and in the night window. Um, I don't know who is it. LSU and Mississippi State is the three thirty is the CBS game. I think. No, it's uh, Auburn, Kentucky. I think. No, they're noon. They're they're the noon doubleheader. I think they went with the defending champs uh, for the first CBS game. They should have gone with Kentucky and Auburn because that should be the best game of the weekend. But no one, no one watches Kentucky football uh, apparently. So, alas, they did not. I, th- I think the uh, the LSU game is opposite uh, ours. Um, so I am going to try to answer this question. I'll race you. Who gets it? I know you hear, you hear me typing. Yeah. Right. I got, I pulled up the stupid wrong, wrong one. Ah, it is three 30 on uh Saturday, Mississippi state at LSU. Okay. All right. We're also accustomed to zoom now that I'm like much faster. Let me just put my screen away and look that up real quick. So <laughs> lots of reps at this. And now I can't find it again. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, before we go, you got uh, any uh, Will's uh, freestyle? Anything you want to talk about we haven't talked about? No, I, I just think that it's a lot of what we've already said, that it's this is going to be great. Um, you should unburden yourself of a lot of expectations, but we just also know how hard it is to do. I thought about we, we just live this. You know, we just played a, a point guard in basketball who got off a jet and got thrown into a starting game and made a bunch of threes, but like, we, we carried some burden of expectations for a basketball team that we should not have probably. And they still almost met them, you know, but like that we just lived a basketball season where we had every, when Lamonte Turner went down and out, we had every reason to say, Hey, maybe don't count this one, you know, or maybe we just, we, we realized that we're trying to play through John Fulkerson and we've got a point guard that just arrived in the country and all this is right and like Tennessee was good enough they rose to the moment so even though we should have you know those losses to Auburn hurt like that sucked you know and the wins were incredible so it'll be the same thing like you know you you we should unburden ourselves of these things but Tennessee is still going to be good enough even if they're depleted to you know be in the conversation of having a chance to win so when we lose that's going to feel like losing too uh, still, I think. So I don't know how to stop that train from going down the tracks other than to point it out at least and say, Hey, uh, there's a train coming down the tracks and maybe don't, at least don't tie yourself to them. Uh, you know, so uh, cause you know, if we lose to South Carolina, that's going to suck. <laughs> like it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of getting sports back too, is sometimes your team doesn't win. Um, but I just, uh, I think it's going to be great. 
And I think the, the reasonable, if, if the virus doesn't ravage this team, just the expectation of we have a chance to win every Saturday and we can be a dark horse in this East race for a while. If we, if we do that, that's going to be new and different and fun. And I can't wait. I'm excited. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the game day of Rocky top podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, do us a favor, subscribe, give us a rating, leave a review. Uh, we need a, a bonus phrase for bonus points. Um, uh, I'm going to go with bucket of minnows because we still need to look that up. Right. Yeah. Plus one, if you can tell us where that phrase uh, came from without us having to look it up here. Yes. Okay. There we go. So uh, for Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the game day on Rocky Top Podcast. No, I, I, it does. It doesn't sound made up. It just—I could have lost somewhere in there. Perhaps um, we race on that one too. <laughs> no, I have not. I did not look up. Upper uh, bucket of minnows. It's, yeah, it's nothing but like live bait shops. <laughs> Two ends and minnows. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't. Uh, All right, somebody's gonna have to help us out with that. So. <laughs> I see an officially licensed uh, Tennessee minnow fishing lure on oh. eBay. But uh, that is also what is searches related to Tennessee bucket of minnows, dangerous fish in Tennessee. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know, but I, that reminds me of something. Have you ever seen a bee panther? I have not. All right, look it up. Bee panther. Terrifying. This thing was on my mailbox the other day. It's like a, it's like two inches long and it, it kills it hunts and kills wasps and bees. And it is frightening. These things, they're nasty. Did you try to kill it or did you just let it go to well, I made it, do the killing? <laughs> well, I didn't know what it was. And it was like right on my mailbox, right? Yeah. I almost accidentally grabbed the thing because it was right on the handle and it mm. scared me to death. So then it was just like sitting there. So I thought, okay, well, it's like a cicada or something kind of, you know, fell asleep molting or something, right? So I just kind of nudged it. It took up it and it flew across the, flew across the yard. Um, apparently, these things will hunt down hummingbirds. They say. So, wow. yeah, stay away from bee panthers. <laughs>